Welcome to Potter Revisited, Episode 9. Today we are discussing Chapter 9 of Philosopher's Stone, The Midnight Duel. Or, as we have decided to call it, Being a Gryffindor sounds exhausting. This is a shorter chapter, but we will probably talk your eyes' ears off. As we do. That's what we do. <laughs> Moving into our first section, you were wondering, how helpful is a remember all? I mean, because it lets you know you've forgotten something, which is real swell, but it does not let you know what you've forgotten, which, I mean, that's what Neville says. But it's true. Like, there's always, at any given time, lots of things I'm probably forgetting, and some of them are important, and some of them aren't. You know? Like, I don't remember the password to my login for my student account on the website for my college, but it's okay because it's saved. So as long as I sign into my computer through my, like, that login, it's saved and it's fine, but I've forgotten it, you know? So my remember all would always be glowing that I've forgotten things, but it wouldn't help me because what if the thing I forgot is to pick up milk and I'm at the grocery store now? Yep, that's happened to me so many times. Like, I just think it's unhelpful. Yeah, I feel like it's annoying because <laughs> it's like, you've forgotten something, but since it won't tell you what you've forgotten, you're just going to be driving yourself crazy because you're like, I forgot, I forgot, what am I forgetting? Because I always have the feeling. And it could be something ridiculous, like it was your uncle's birthday three days ago, but you don't want really to call your uncle on his birthday anyway, so. Not just poor Neville. I knew they're trying to help him, but, oof. So rough. Yeah. It's not good for Neville's self-esteem to be reminded that he forgets things a lot. So when Harry imagines himself getting um, expelled, and he's all worried about it, he doesn't want to go back to the Dursley, so he's like, oh, maybe Hagrid would let me, would heat me on and train me as an assistant. And I'm just like, the image of Harry is like this assistant gameskeeper. It's so funny. I mean, it's cute. I mean, clearly it's an option. I mean, he doesn't know yet that Hagrid got that job from being expelled, right? Well, he knows Hagrid was a spell, expelled, and he just, he knows he lives there, so I don't, he just, he just doesn't want to go home. Okay, so he probably thinks, like, this is the only job I know of for students who are expelled from Hogwarts, but also, I could see Harry being perfectly happy with that life. He gets to hang out on campus. I think the only thing he doesn't like is that he'd have to see Ron and Hermione and Neville all become wizards, or he couldn't, and this wannabe snap, so that's the part where he's like, oh, that sucks. But he really doesn't want to go back to the Dursleys, so he's already thinking about, like, his backup plan. Yeah, he could just live in the Forbidden Forest, build himself a treehouse. That's what I would do. I would build myself a treehouse. Become friends with the unicorns and the centaurs. It's an option, right? So when Harry also gets found out and he gets in trouble, and he's thinking about, he's getting, like, sent to see McGonagall and everything. Or McGonagall said that she's going to get wood. He thinks it's, like, corporal punishment. He th uh, just kind of, like, it kind of, like, shocked me because that's not something, like, we grew up with. And this book came out in, like, 1998. And I know, I don't know if my parents ever had that, but it's just, like, was so crazy to me rereading this. And I was like, holy shit, Harry thinks he's going to get beaten with, like, a wooden stick or something? Well, I think, like, even in, like, my parents' generation at school, teachers would, like, whack you with a ruler. Yeah. And I guess rulers were wooden back then because nothing was plastic. So, like... Maybe that's, I mean, it's child abuse, don't do it. But also maybe that was a common thing. But also I feel like especially at British private schools, I feel like it was probably even more so. Like they probably had a special stick just for that. Yeah. Oh my, just so crazy me reading this. Because I was like, we always assume this took place in the 90s. And I always thought the 90s was like, I wouldn't assume like corporal punishment in the 90s. But I guess like it's also written in a British boarding school. So who knows like what they did in boarding schools. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I can sort of, I know people who were students in the time where teachers could hit their students with sticks or whatever. So that's, that's a thing. But, yeah, I guess it was a thing for Harry. I remember when they were trying to convince people that Harry was going to that other school and dyeing his clothes gray and everything. They mentioned that they had a stick for beating at that school. So I guess it is a semi-regular thing. Mm-hmm. And Hogwarts used to hang kids upside down from their fingers or their toes. Jesus. So clearly all the schools participated in the abuse of children. Yep, pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, I think I brought this up last episode, but Peeves and whether or not he's chaotic neutral or chaotic evil. But uh, in hindsight, he's just chaotic neutral. Because, I mean, until like the Battle of Hogwarts where he does lean towards the side of good, but not so much because it's the good side as like Hogwarts is his home and yeah. he doesn't to have the patience for a bunch of assholes running around in it. But I think Peeves is definitely a chaotic, neutral creature. He doesn't really have a side. He just kind of, like, is chaotic, and it doesn't matter who it is to him. Well, then we get the surprise that Wood is actually not a cane that he's going to be beaten with. It is actually a person. That's funny. That's that's a conveniently chosen name for that. Yeah. You know, good. That, that That's humorous. <laughs> I, uh... I think probably my favorite thing about this entire chapter is Ron and him telling Harry that if nothing comes out of his wand, he should just punch Draco. <laughs> because, like, yes. I mean, Ron probably knows because Ron's grown up with, like, six, seven, five brothers, six brothers. Yeah, he knows. It's great advice. Especially because Ron does get into a fist fight with Draco later in the series. And it's funny because, A, Ron as the pure blood wizarding world raised the last thing you'd expect out of him is like well if the magic isn't working just like it's it's really kind of throws you off the first time you read it you're like oh they do that too like that the wizards also know how to punch people okay it's very uh it's cute and it's humorous and i good on your own and ron's so funny being like i'll be i'll be his second in case you die. <laughs> or he's like, what are we gonna, am I gonna die? Or he's like, what? And he's like, oh, you're not gonna die, don't worry. Just thinks it sounds cool. I, yeah. I really think it's super heartwarming that Harry's so happy with flying when he realizes there's something in the magical world and in the world as a whole that just comes naturally to him. Like, I feel like he tries, maybe not in school, but generally he's trying really hard to fit in, to get along with people, to blend in. And Flying is the first time that he's just like, oh, I can just, I can do this. Like, I'm just good at this thing. And I think it's... Like, he has a lot of people telling him that he's going to be great. Like, Hagrid, when he meets him, he's like, oh, you're going to be a great wizard. Your parents are great. And so he feels like, especially being famous, he has a lot to live up to. And the classes are hard. Like, he he does, like, he finds them difficult. Like, he's, he does well. You know, he's like, like a, an average student. He does, like, above, maybe above average in some classes. But this is the first thing where he doesn't have to really think or try really hard. It's just, like... He's, he's good. It's like a natural thing. And maybe it kind of, re- like, it kind of sinks into him that, like, this is where he's meant to be. Because he has a lot of anxieties about, like, where he belongs, especially in the Wizarding World. And this is the first time where he, like, he's actually good at something that is related to the Wizarding World. And it also it's, it's also, like, nice that it comes from his dad. Because he's been told that his dad's really great at Quidditch. And he is an amazing player. And so it's something that he can kind of, like nose comes from his parents that he didn't really get to know. I also think it's fun that mad that flying is the thing that comes naturally to him because that's sort of the most spectacular of all the magic things we've seen yet. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I bet he's never been in a plane in his life, you know? And he's like, well, here I go. Yeah. It's beautiful. 
Well, it's also that thing, too. It's just, like, he's already hearing people talk about, like, how much they fly. Like, he knows Ron's been on a broom before. Draco, like, flies all the time. And this is, like, one thing where, like, he, he doesn't think he'll be good at it. And then, surprisingly, he is. Like, he... It wasn't hard at all. And he's just kind of amazed. Like, it's so cute. I was just wondering, the way they teach first years to fly sounds very chaotic. And I don't know if it's kind of, like, right... Like, it's just, it's very dangerous, as we know, and it's just that there's a bunch of 11-year-olds on brooms that fly up, and there's so many of them in a class. I just feel like it's very, very chaotic, especially because you have different skill sets. Like, we know Draco has been flying for most of his life, and he's very good at it. Ron's also flown before, but then you have people like Neville, who's never flown before, Hermione, who is not from the Wizarding World, who has never flown a broom before in her life and has no idea how to do it. And I just feel like it's, like, you have a lot of different skill sets and, like, maybe it would have been better to separate them and have smaller sizes. Because it's one teacher for all those kids. And obviously. Yeah, at bare minimum, there should be two teachers. Because in theory, they should have all the students lined up. They can all stay up at the same time. And then one by one, each student should be, like, instructed to, like, lift up and then do a small circle and then land again, like one at a time. And there should be two yeah. teachers there. So one teacher can fly up and catch that student if they're falling while the other teacher watches the kids on the ground. Like to me... Because yeah, it reminds me of like anytime you do kind of like sports or something. Like I dick took skiing lessons as a kid and our class size was maybe like three or four kids to an instructor because it is like kind of dangerous. Like you can fall and hurt yourself. And even with skating too, like they always had very small class sizes because... It's a new skill and you want to help each person. I just feel like Madame Hooch isn't, like, able to, like, look after, like, this class, like, 20 kids who are all on brooms. In horseback riding, when you're a beginner, there's, like, three kids in your class with you, you know? Yeah, it's just crazy to me. And speaking of, like, injuries and stuff, so Madame Hooch takes Neville to the hospital wing and, like, leaves her class. And I, I was wondering, like, why didn't she send a student to take him? And I know that maybe they didn't know where the hospital wing was, but it just seems like such a bad idea to leave, like, a class with all these brooms, a bunch of 11-year-olds, and expect, like, nothing to happen. Yeah, she's magic. Can't she, like, do a spell that makes all the brooms stick to the ground or something? Yeah. Like, there's a sticking spell that makes, like, the shoe, the sole of your feet stick to the ground. She could stick all the kids' soles of their feet to the ground. She could stick the brooms. There's so many, like, magic options that could have prevented that, The what ensues. But also, there's so many, like, basic teaching aspects. Like, again, having a second teacher out there. It seems a little bit... Asking another teacher to come out and supervise the kids while you go in. Like, your magic. Send sparks up with your wand. There's so many valid options. That's very crazy to me because I don't remember. I'm pretty sure you were, we weren't, at least at our school, we weren't allowed to leave. Like, you weren't allowed to leave an empty class. Like, when you were younger. Probably in high school, they didn't really care if they, like, went out to go get something or whatever. But I remember, like, if a teacher had to go somewhere, we had a teacher come in to, like, watch us because we couldn't be unsupervised because we were children and we were crazy. Yeah. Even with safety scissors, we could do some damage. Yeah. I wonder a little bit, when it comes to Harry's quick ability to fly, I wonder if part of it is that when they the first part of flying is saying up and a lot of the kids were struggling, so there was less pressure for him to just be good like it was like oh so uh, most people suck at this so this is fine Mm -hmm. and he was so distracted sort of like by the idea of flying that he didn't really pay attention and it happened and then once the up went so smoothly for him he was suddenly like it was a confidence thing because he's like oh that worked that worked for me I feel good about this well it's also he said that he felt it like he had this feeling in him 
like when he held the broom, he he felt like he had this feeling go through him where it was like it was he was meant to do it. So it definitely was this like school thing. I think maybe he just doesn't like performing. Yeah. Like he almost has stage fright when he thinks he's like being tested or watched. But when he finally actually flies, he isn't like showing the teacher he can fly or proving to us. He's like not focusing on flying. He's focusing on getting back to Draco and like getting the remember all from Draco. And it's almost like Harry's maybe one of his bigger blockades to like excelling as a student in a lot of ways. It's his own nervousness and his own self-consciousness that in moments like this where he's not really thinking about whether or not he succeeds or fails or looks good and he's just, oh, I want that. That's when he's the best. Very much the opposite of Hermione. Like Hermione's very like, I need to think things through. I'm not good in the moment. I'm not going to remember. I know everything, but I might not remember it in a panic. And Harry's like, I know nothing. Oh, wait a minute. It's on fire. I know the thing. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Just the way Harry is. But um, moving on to after Harry gets sent to McGonagall and would this person not a stick? um, McGonagall makes this huge exception for Harry to play on the Quidditch team so they can win purely because of competition. She even says that she doesn't, she wants the Quidditch Cup back in Gryffindor. She doesn't want Snake to have it anymore. And we know McGonagall being the super strict teacher will never bend the rules for anything, but she's so competitive that she bends the rules for Quidditch. And just a very interesting insight to her character. It is. I, she really takes Quidditch seriously. She was a Quidditch player, so she probably has a lot of like personal emotional connection to Gryffindor Quidditch. I think maybe a part of it also is, it's not just, oh, you're good at Quidditch, oh, good, the Gryffindors. It might also be a little bit like, Harry Potter is always going to have eyes on him. We might as well give him an opportunity to like feel like they're on him for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Everyone's going to be looking at you all the time. We might as well, like, have you do something. So when people look at you, you can say, are they looking at me because my parents were murdered? Or are they looking at me because I did so well in the game last night? It's like she's, I don't know. She also seems very excited. And I also was wondering if it's because she has the connection that James is a really good Quidditch player. And she's just very excited that Harry's also a really good Quidditch player. Since um, there's that connection there. And I'm assuming that McGonagall and James had at least something going on, because we know that he was very good at Transfiguration, so he was probably one of her favorites. Had something going on. Oh, there's a theory. There's the theory. Yeah. Oh, woo, no. I just meant that he was a very good student in Transfiguration, and so McGonagall probably admired him. And we know at the beginning of the book that she really did care for Lily, Lily and James, and she was very upset that they were gone. Yeah. So I feel like she's just very happy that she can kind of like see that being passed on from hair to from James to Harry. That's good. I think yeah. She definitely did not have an affair with James Potter, Tori. Stop insinuating these blasphemous things about Minerva McGonagall. <laughs> you said it, not me. I never <laughs> Stop what I meant. <laughs> okay, we already talked about Ron punching um Draco in the nose at some point. So moving on to Hermione having no social skills. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, none whatsoever. I mean, she's very annoying. And like, I'm annoyed with her in this chapter. I'm like, can you just leave them alone? Like, mind your own business. Yeah, as Hermione, having Hermione's favorite character is difficult because I've, you just forget in earlier books, like how socially inept she is. And uh, yeah, I'm reading it. And I'm like, why are you bothering them so much? Like, why do you care so much? Meanwhile, having Snape as a favorite character is not difficult whatsoever, I swear. I mean, I feel like you chose that for yourself. <laughs> You made it that way. Yeah. Hermione is 
it's it's a big difference. Hermione goes so far from being like, oh gosh, her, to being like, yes, her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you really, it's a very believable progression yeah. that Hermione goes through, I think. You can see how that bossy, annoying little child can become the woman Hermione becomes. And I feel like a lot of people that you like and respect as adults were probably Brad's as children, or really annoying, or... So it's good that she's not just delightful from the get-go. She's human, you know? Yeah, yeah. She definitely grows, especially a lot in this book, as she realizes to relax a little bit. Because she's so, like, concerned about, like, what everyone will think and, like, what's the right thing to do. But it's just, like, she is so involved in everyone else's life, like, what everyone else is doing. That I feel she's not really... That she's maybe not aware, or maybe she is aware, but, like, how well she's not doing socially. But she kind of, like, is protecting herself with just, like, being so overly involved in everyone else. But it's not the same as, like, being friends. Since we know Hermione doesn't really have... Like, everyone's kind of paired off at this point, except Hermione and maybe Neville. And Hermione and Neville hang out more, more so because like, they're kind of put together because they both don't have... They're, like, their one best friend. Like, everyone else has. I also think that maybe Hermione is, like, she doesn't know how to make friends. So she thinks, if I provide a service or if I help people in a way they can't help themselves, that's how they'll like me. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of like, oh, the problem these people have is they get into trouble. They will like me if I show them how not to get into trouble, which is going about things entirely the wrong way. But in her mind, she's like, everybody wants to be the best versions of themselves. If I point out what they're doing that is not good and tell them how to do better, they will like me because they're growing as people, you know? Like, I just don't think she realizes how obnoxious that is but i think in her mind maybe yeah i mean like she's so meddlesome yeah uh so because like harry and ron have this whole thing with draco and she's like you can't do that and they're like what, what who the hell are you like this alone and she's like i'm gonna tell your brother percy and she's just like in her and because she's so involved with them she ends up like screwing herself over she gets locked out of the common room yeah and yeah it's just because she's so meddlesome and like maybe part of her wants to, like, dissuade them from doing it. Because I think Hermione really takes in Gryffindor being, like, a home, especially because she's left her family to come here. And she wants to win the House Cup, and she's very much drank the Kool-Aid about, like, everything that involves being in Gryffindor. And, yeah, she kind of screws herself over. But, yeah, she is so meddlesome and socially inept, and it's hard to read. But we do know that she grows as a person. Yeah. I guess being a busybody maybe is also a little bit an extent part of her not having friends she's like I don't have anything going on because no one interacts with me I don't have friends so I need to be interested and involved with humans in some way so I'm going to like insert myself into other people's situations just to kind of feel a part of something but she also is so strict on her own morals that she inserts herself to be like don't do this but no one wants that (laughs) yeah it's definitely a way to like kind of like fit in because she has social interaction during classes but then she probably sees during their downtime, everyone else is kind of like, we know Parverti and Lavender have already paired off. And I don't think Hermione at this point has a lot in common with them. And so she just hangs with Neville, but like she wants to be involved and have like, I feel like every 11 year old wants to have like, you need someone to talk to. 
So she tries, she's involved with everyone and she tries, she in her way is thinking that she's helpful when really she's just really annoying. And it's funny because she so like tries to keep people in the lines and like thinks things through and yet is so goes about it in the most Gryffindor possible way. Of course. Like she's like, I know this will end badly, so I'm going to stop it, which is good and very thought out and like, okay, well. And then she's like, and I'm going to do it by rushing into this without really thinking about it and telling them how it is and there will be no repercussions and they will all be grateful. So it's like, even when she's like doing something kind of Ravenclaw, she goes about it in the Gryffindor way. Of course. So you have, um, where does Hermione go along with Ron and Harry and then Neville? Is she trying to make friends or is she trying to, is she worried about getting into trouble? Maybe it's kind of both. Yeah. I think at the beginning, she just wants to have everyone follow the script she's already written in her head about how things are supposed to go, which is we follow the rules, we do well, we learn our best at school, we win the house cup, like this story she's written in her mind. And every time someone goes off script, she's basically just saying, no, that's not how I've written it. Actually, you don't sneak out at night, you go to bed, you sleep well, you wake up well rested, you eat a balanced breakfast, and you go to class ready to learn. And so anytime someone goes off script, she's like, no, 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 I need to pull you back into what I have planned for you, despite the fact that I am not really a part of your life. This is what you should be doing. So at the beginning, I think it's that she's trying to get them back on script. And Again, the Gryffindor in her doesn't sort of see how inserting herself will end poorly and be the opposite of what she's trying to do. Which is why Hermione sort of, through most of the books, despite being the smartest, she's never the best in like the heat of the moment. Because if she's scripted something through and thought it out and planned it out and studied for that moment, she's going to kick everybody's ass. But as soon as it goes off of what she's expected, she becomes rattled and she doesn't remember that she does in fact know how to handle the situations. Yeah, she doesn't do well under pressure. She's just like, wait, I didn't write it that way. How do I access the information? You know? Yeah. So I think it's, that's how she gets herself sort of involved with Harry and Ron, especially in this chapter, is just... Trying to get them back onto the script in the script she's written about how things are to go. And she just doesn't know how to go about it. I just feel bad for Neville because Neville um, got his wrist fixed and was told to go back to his common room. He couldn't remember the password, so he's just stuck out there all night. Like, did no one, like, come between, between the point where he went back to the common room and he couldn't remember the password and like I just feel bad for him this poor guy it's just like not having a good two weeks yeah I guess I guess like yeah in my mind he like knocks on the portrait hoping there's someone (laughs) in the common room but everyone's up in the dorms and so he like waits and then knocks again like hey someone want to let me in but like everyone's in the dorms so they don't hear him knocking in the common room and it's another example of like poorly thought out sort of entrances to common rooms where it's like if the password expires at midnight I get that the point of that is also to encourage students to stay in their bedrooms past curfew but it forgets the fact that students don't always follow the rules and like he's at risk yeah dangerous things happen in the halls of Hogwarts at night like no and he's a first year trapped out there alone like are there like is Filch the only one that wanders the hallway at night like there should be some I'm pretty sure that proof aren't, aren't the prefects supposed to like not at night. I think they do do they stay up some point. Like I don't know prefects walk around to like make sure things in order, but I'm sure the teachers probably have some kind of like duty where they have to like hall monitor duty. Yeah, because like we catch Snape walking around the hallways at night, but like he's a shady guy. He's doing Snape things. He's not seeking out people to punish. He's got his own dark and mysterious shenanigans afoot. 
Um, I think maybe like a good idea would have been to like paint a portrait of somebody and put one of them in the hallway next to the entranceway and one of them inside the common room or maybe in one of the dormitories. Like maybe the dormitory where the prefect sleeps has a particular portrait of someone and they have another portrait on the wall. So if you get knocked out, you can say, hello, portrait of whimsical, the whimsical, please tell the other portrait that I need to be let in. Like that seems like a basic wizard level security that they probably should have had. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor guy. Well, moving on, we have the beginning of the Harry Draco rivalry, which is a big part of the series, especially as they start to grow up. So the whole scene of them getting into the trophy room and then Malfoy tricked him and then ending up meeting Fluffy is like one of my favorite scenes. And I wish that had been in the movie. Like the way they did it in the movie was good. But just like this whole like wild goose chase realizing they've been set up and then like accidentally being forced to meet fluffy it's just like the way it was written and everything like is very exciting and so many twists and turns yeah first of all i love it as a slytherin because that is such a clever and conniving and devious thing like oh i'm going to like taunt him into breaking the rules and then not break the rules myself and have a good laugh about it like i not only win but i didn't have to fight him and i don't get in trouble like, it's very devious, and I can, as much as Draco's a little ass hat, and I don't like him, it's clever. I will say it's a clever. Well, but Malfoy, I think, kind of knows that he's not evenly matched. And so even, like, all the things that happen with Harry and Draco, like, he knows Harry's probably stronger than him. So Malfoy's always doing things to, like, undermine him. And that's always plans that, like, get him in trouble. But, like... He never, like, really physically fights Harry. But I feel like it's interesting because at this point in the novels... In a duel, Draco would win. Harry has learned no spells. He has done no magic. Draco probably, I mean, not saying he's an exceptionally gifted wizard. He's a child. But growing up in the wizarding world and having the parents he's had, I'm sure there's a couple basic spells that Draco might know. You know what I mean? He has a better chance. He's heard more spells, at least. He probably has a better chance of beating Harry at a wizard duel at this point. I just think it shows that Malfoy's not as confident as he portrays he is. Like, he talks he, he talks big, and he has his goons behind him. But when it comes down to it, even though he knows he probably would win, he's still not confident enough to go through with it. So he just rather yeah. um, go behind his back and set him up. I feel like even if Draco was, like, 85% confident, he knows one spell and Harry knows none, so he's got this. I feel like Draco's ego and, like, the version of himself he shows to people couldn't handle losing a duel, which is why he didn't partake in one. He's like, the off chance that I lose... It's really going to screw up how people view me and I want to be viewed in this way. So it was too risky for him and his persona to like take that chance. But still, like what exactly did Harry think he was going to do in this duel? Like he does not know any spells. And like, yes, Ron said, like drop you on and punch him. Okay, but then you're having a fist fight. You're not having a duel. And you don't know if Draco knows spells. Like, what are you... What was going to happen if this duel had happened? Part of me... Yeah, Ron is just a very Gryffindor. Yeah. He's just a hype man. Ron's like, we were off... We were like... Like, he said that we're having a duel, so, like, we can't back down. Because we have to do it. And we have to do it no matter what. And, yeah, Ron is just very much like a wing it kind of person. He's like, okay, we'll see what he does. And if we can't beat him with a spell, we're just going to throw our wands away and we're going to punch him in the face. Yeah. It's just... Iran's such a hype man, but it's just so funny. I feel like not Gryffindors in that situation as a first year who so don't know spells would like spend the evening studying their textbooks to try and learn one or two basic dueling spells. Like they would try, you know what I mean? They would put in the 
forethought to be like, we don't know anything. Let's try and learn something real quick. But they're so Gryffindor, they're like, we're all going to figure it out. We'll be fine. <laughs> I think this kind of solidifies like Harry and Ron's friendship too. Like they've only known each other for two weeks, but Ron's like, I'm going to be your second and he's giving him advice. And if you die, don't worry, I'll fight for you. Yeah, he doesn't, he, Ron kind of knows it's like, it's like they're, they don't know any spells or whatever, but he's just kind of like, He's in it to the end, no matter what. And it's just like the loyalty he has already. Love Harry and Ron's friendship. They're like, to the bitter end. Yeah. So you have uh, Draco manipulating Harry when he's more ego, is more ego-based. And Hermione is more effective at, at um, when he, at it, when he's more moral. Oh, yeah. So basically, Draco can manipulate Harry using Harry's ego by acting like he's better than Harry. And be like, oh, you have to prove yourself as brave. You have to prove yourself as strong. And that's how Draco manipulates. But when Hermione manipulates, which she does quite effectively, not so much yet, but it's always more of a a moral manipulation. It's just interesting to see how like both of them have at times manipulated Harry, but they go about it from a different way. And they both have been quite successful at it. But it's neat to see that different manipulation styles and sort of also how they both manipulate Harry based on something that they understand more. Like ego is very important to Draco, like how he's seen and perceived is very important. So he uses that against Harry, but Hermione being seen as a good person who follows the rules is more important to her. So she manipulates Harry based on that. It's interesting. I think we kind of see like Hermione is more manipulative and she just understands a lot more than I think you realize at the beginning or like even other people realize, like we have to get through in the series, like she does things that benefit her and she kind of like makes it work to like her advantage. That's the Slytherin in Hermione Granger. I I just find when you sit there and you read this chapter, it is pretty ridiculous to realize that Harry decides to sneak out and get in a fight the same night he thinks he's going to have been expelled for flying. Like he goes from like, I'm going to be expelled. My life is over. Will Hagrid <laughs> take me on as an apprentice to like, I'll just sneak out and get in a fight. I'm like being a Gryffindor honestly sounds so exhausting like anytime there's like oh yeah you think you can they have to be like yeah and then just run into it with no forethought and it's so tiring I mean maybe it's less tiring if that's the person you are but from my perspective it's exhausting and stressful and oh my goodness (laughs) I couldn't do it I couldn't live that Gryffindor life. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I actually kind of forgot it was the day he got expelled. It's like the same the same day. So he has like his day and then he thinks he's going to get expelled and his like dread and he doesn't get expelled and gets told he's going to be on the Quidditch team, which is like this like crazy moment. And it's like, he's probably just still like living that high when Draco tries to get him in trouble. And he's like, you know, nothing else can go wrong. I mean, he's like, I already faced this. Yeah, honestly, maybe it's a little bit uh, Minerva McGonagall rewarded bad behavior. So now he's like, last time I broke the rules, I got to be on the Quidditch team. I wonder what's going to happen this time I break the rules. Because as of now, all I do is get rewarded when I break the rules. He could have been a lot more of a brat than he ends up being later in the novels. (laughs) Just based on like some of the earlier. So I was wondering just now, so we know that Fluffy's like hidden in the room. And I was just wondering, was it like Dumbledore just to have the room locked? With, like, Elohimora. Like, I feel like they should have had it sealed better. Because they don't even intend to go there. It's by accident. They're just trying to hide. And so they get into it. Because Elohimora is a level one spell. So it's just, like, anyone could go in there. Like, Dumbledore tells them not to. But they don't know where they are. They get lost. So they end up there by accident. Yeah, if you could accidentally get into the secret, hidden, overly well-protected chamber, it is not very well-protected. Yeah. Like, and again, they're first years. It's a first year spell. So, like... 
it's impressive that Hermione knows it because it's pretty early on in the school year. But second years, third years, fourth years, like all the other students know Alohomora is basic. They could all, and you know Fred and George probably heard, don't go on the floor and open this door. And they're like, so do you want to get some snacks and then go to that floor and open that door? Like, exactly. I can't imagine how they thought that would be effective. Yeah, this school was a nightmare. I mean, unless again, Dumbledore made it something that they could get through because he wanted Harry to have that chance against Voldemort in his first year, you know, but unless it was intentional for that purpose. Yeah, it's just so crazy to think about. And then we have Hermione's classic line where she's like, we could have been killed or worse, expelled. expelled. Hermione doesn't care about death. <laughs> she's fearless. I just think it's the way... All she cares about is her permanent record. Yeah, it's the way her priorities are. Like, being expelled is, like, shameful. It means you weren't a good enough student. It meant you didn't follow the rules. You were a bad person because you broke rules. But death, meh, you know? Like, you don't have to feel the shame of being expelled if you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Hermione lost in the face of death. She doesn't care. She's yeah. All she cares about is her permanent record. As long as the GPA is golden. <laughs> but it could be her sense of belonging, too. Like, this is the first place where she, like, she knows she's supposed to be here. So being sent away would be really shameful to her. And she doesn't really care if she dies. She's like, I just can't be sent away because, like, the shame. Yeah. And, like, she has so much, like, she puts so much worth in, like, what she's doing. Yeah. It's the Gryffindor pride. It's the pride. It's the bravery. It's... Yep. Gryffindor pride strikes again. As much as people like to always argue that Hermione's like, if she wasn't a Gryffindor, she would be a Ravenclaw. But there's so much of all of the houses in Hermione. Like, they all display all of the houses. But it's really nice to see Hermione be a true Gryffindor. And it's really nice to notice Hermione's Slytherin moments. And it just goes back to the importance of all of the traits in all of the houses. And... Hermione might have had an easier time doing a lot of things if she'd fostered some of her Slytherin traits a little bit more because there's lots of times where Hermione is right and no one listens to her and they end up in trouble. It's kind of like if she'd fostered her manipulation skills a little bit more, <laughs> she might have just saved them all the trouble. Oh yeah, I forgot. I had a theory about Neville that I forgot to write down. It's about Neville and just like his memory loss. I remember reading a theory. It might have been on MuggleNet, like before the last book came out because everyone had theories about Neville and like how much he'd be involved because he could have been the chosen one and I think someone mentioned that um because Neville always had really bad memory but we're like is was that always a thing because we know that um when his parents died he was a baby too so I think the theory was when his parents were when they were attacked you mean were yeah. tortured that maybe he was there and he saw something and we learned about memory charms and like how it can affect people. So what if someone, oh. someone either good or someone bad, didn't want him to see some, didn't want him to remember something, so they cast a memory turn on him, and that's what it affected his memory. Wow. And so it was assumed that maybe it would affect him going forward in the book. Obviously, never really came up, but I just thought that was very interesting because it's always said that Neville had really bad memory, and then once you learn what about what happened to his parents and everything, it's like. Like, maybe it could have been more. So who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a neat theory. I feel like that is something I could see August along what I'm doing. Like, being like, this particular memory is going to traumatize this child forever. Yeah. I'll do some magic to get rid yeah. of it. But also, would that be considered a charm? Do we know if Obliviate... Yeah. Or, I mean, Obliviate's the first memory charm I think of. But I think memory spells would be considered charms. And we know that... Augusta does not think charms is good. She thinks it's hogwash. So maybe the reason why 
she shit talks charms is she did a charm on Neville and it had repercussions. And that's why she doesn't want Neville to continue in charms. That'd be very interesting. Yeah, so she hates charms because she impeded her grandson and then maybe moving forward like she, he he he's not showing magic and maybe she thought that she like broke him or something yeah this is oh, these are some juicy Ooh, conspiracy theories. theory but i have to look at where i found it i'm pretty sure it was either on MuggleNet or it might have been in one of the MuggleNet books because i was pretty active on MuggleNet growing up but i remember it was before deathly hollows came out wow all right do you have any closing remarks for this chapter um, my closing remarks are that being a Gryffindor sounds exhausting and that if you're gonna get into a wizarding duel, you should probably learn at least one spell. <laughs> Just one. Mine is that Ron is a friend through and through. He will be the best backup you've ever had, no questions asked. And Hermione's notionally inept and it wounds me, but I love her so much. And that's pretty much it for us for this um, episode. We'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 10, Halloween. Oh, Halloween. The best holiday. Shana lives on Halloween 24-7. It is always Halloween in my heart. <laughs> yeah. So now we get to see the tr golden trio become the golden trio. So as always, if you have any thoughts on today's episode previous episodes or future episodes you can email us at potter revisited podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at potter revisited and if you're mad at us and you want to get into a fight just meet us in the trophy room at midnight we're totally gonna be there totally we promise <laughs> and we will see you next time bye